0: I want you to, to encourage you now. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And we'll be reading from verse 1 through 16. The Psalm 119. Right in the middle of your Bibles, in the Hebrew Bible, the word for Psalms is Tehillim, which means praise songs. And the title of the Psalms was adopted by the writers of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint, it was translated as psalmoi, which means songs to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. So this was the songs that were to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument sung as the hymnal of biblical times. Psalm 119, the author writes here, verse 1, How blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness, they walk in His ways, You have ordained your precepts, that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes, I shall not forget your word. let's pray before we look into the word of God. Our Father in heaven pray O oh God that we might see these words as your words as you speak your from your word, we pray, O oh God, that we might be teachable, that we might be humble, that you, as your word has declared, that you would show us great and mighty things which we do not yet know. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. During the Vietnam War, there was a man named, a man named Howard Rutledge. Howard Rutledge's plane was shot down over Vietnam. So what he did was he parachuted out and he landed in a village and he was immediately attacked. He was stripped naked and he was imprisoned. For the next seven long years, he he endured a brutal treatment under the hands of his captors in this village. His, his food was a little more than a bowl of of soup with rotted things in it and he had a little piece of pork fat in there along with all of the skin and the hair and all. They put him in this prison and this makeshift prison. There were rats the size of cats there. And there were spiders the size of his fists that scurried around him. He was frequently cold he often alone. and He was tortured, sometimes shackled in positions that would be excruciating to his body. And for days, he would be. He had insects that would be carnivorous, that would bore into the sores of his body, that would be oozing with pus. And so the question is, how did a person like that keep his sanity? In his book, he writes, "...in the presence of mine enemies." He gives an expression of what all of that was like. The importance of the word of God to him at that time. And he writes this quote. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outbid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in heartbreak, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I completely neglected that part, that spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And so I had to go back in my memory to those Sunday school days in Tulsa, Oklahoma, If I couldn't have a Bible or hymn book, I would try to rebuild them in my mind. How I struggled to recall those scriptures and hymns. I had spent my first 18 years in a Southern Baptist Sunday school and I was amazed at how much I could recall. Regrettably, I had not seen the importance of memorizing verses from the Bible or learning gospel songs. Now when I needed them, was too late. I never dreamed that I would spend almost seven years, five of them in solitary confinement in a prison in North Vietnam, or that thinking about one memorized verse could have made the whole day bearable. One portion of a verse I did remember was, Thy word have I hid in my heart. How often I wished I had really worked to hide God's Word in my heart. I put my mind to work. Every day I planned to accomplish certain tasks. I woke early. I did my physical exercises, cleaned up as best as I could. And then I began a period of devotional prayer and meditation. I would pray, hum hymns silently, quote scripture, and think about what that verse meant to me. Remember, we weren't playing games. The enemy knew the best way to break a man's resistance was to crush his spirit in a lonely cell. In other words, some of our POWs after solitary confinement lay down in a fetal position and died. All this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some, But it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death around us, unquote. And so we think to ourselves, imagine if everything was stripped away from you. Imagine if you had nothing. No home, no clothing, your family, your friends, your health and your well-being. Imagine if you had nothing. Only misery to compound the loss of everything. You were sick. And you had insects that would bore holes into your skin. You think of the good times, but even after a few years, those begin to fade as you think to yourself. Perhaps your family has even forgotten you. You'd curl up. Would it be in a fetal position just to die? For some of you, it might not even take that much for you to give up on life. Maybe just the loss of... Your spouse or your family, your children, you'd give up because that's all that you perhaps live for. The reason why Howard Rutledge was able to survive was because his identity, you see, wasn't wrapped up in his job. His identity wasn't wrapped up in his accomplishments. Who he was wasn't wrapped up in his grades in school or it wasn't wrapped up in his children or his family. It wasn't wrapped up in... All of his responsibilities that he had that perhaps make a person feel important. But his identity was wrapped up in the fact that he knew God. And when it came down to it, he thought to himself of what really mattered in life when all that was stripped away and it took prison in a Vietnam cell to teach him that. For he would hidden some of it into his heart. But one of his regrets was that as a young person, as a youth, he thought that it was irrelevant, that it didn't matter, and that he didn't care about learning the songs that people would sing or memorizing or even reading the Word of God. And he didn't see the benefit of it. And now when he needed it, he writes, quote, regrettably, I had not seen the importance of memorizing verses from the Bible or learning gospel songs. Now when I needed them, was too late, unquote. That characterize you and me? We see it as oh, this is boring. It's useless. Why sing? Why learn these songs? Why read? This person who wrote Psalm one nineteen has a completely different desire in his heart is to be the heart that we're all to have. Because the expression of his heart in Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in all of the Bible, expresses a love for the Word of God that you and I are to have. It's written in a very special way. As you see in your Bibles, it's broken down in eight verse sections. Eight verse sections. The first eight verses all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All of you see there in your Bibles. Second eight verses begin with date and so on and so forth. Gimel, Daleth, He, Wow, Zion, Hey, And it begins to be a song that praises God for His Word. And the psalmist here tells us how much he loves the Word of God. He talks about how he thinks about it from dawn in verse 147, daily in verse 97, seven times daily, nightly, at midnight. In other words, it is all through the day that the Word of God dominates his life, dominates his thinking. And that is how it is to be with us as the preacher Charles Spurgeon would say that our blood should run bibline. Full of the scriptures. And here in the first eleven verses he lays out in his heart and lays out for us four benefits, four benefits of treasuring and following the Word of God, and then five attitudes that we should have. For the Word of God is a benefit to us, and if we don't see how important it is to life, it's useless. It's, useless. It's, it's, it's something that we will say, well, this is not really that important for me to learn. The first thing he says in verse 1 through 5 is that the first benefit for those who treasure the Word of God is that it brings blessings. How blessed are those, it reads, are those whose ways are blameless or is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all of their heart. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to have joy? Do you want to have peace? Do you want to be in the favor of God? It comes by following the Word of God. The answer is here. you want to be happy in life? It's not because of one's circumstances. It's not because of one's possessions. It's not because of one's accomplishments. Happiness and true joy comes from the heart. When the heart is at peace with God, then we can have joy and we'll be blessed of God. doesn't mean that all of the things in life will go easy, but we can have joy and contentment despite the circumstances that we're in. To rise above whatever our circumstances is in so that we can live a life that is blessed. It comes by obedience who walk in the law of the Lord. Who walk in God's ways. Many of us don't do that. We say we don't like this and we try to change our job, our circumstances, switch to whatever it might be. And granted that's fine from time to time. But inward joy and inward happiness and inward peace and lasting, lasting joy comes from inside out. But those who don't, those who don't, Proverbs 13, 15 says what? You see, it tells us good understanding one's favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. So you have a choice. You want to have a blessed life? Then obey God. If you want to have a hard life, then be unfaithful. Follow your own way. Decide you're going to do your own thing. Don't follow God. Your life will be hard. That's how it will be. The first benefit is that of blessing. You want to be blessed and follow God. Treasure the Word of God. Secondly, verse 6, a clear conscience. A clear conscience. It says, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon your commandments. See, one of the things that the Bible does, the Bible does for us is it either confirms our conscience and teaches our conscience or it convicts our conscience. Causes us to feel guilt that we might turn and live the right way. It is a standard of godly and holy living. And I'm convinced one of the reasons why people avoid reading the Bible, one of the reasons why people avoid reading certain sections of the Bible, one of the reasons why people don't want to study the Word of God is not only because they would feel that perhaps it's irrelevant, but because it brings conviction. And no one likes to feel guilty a lot of the times. But Hebrews 4.12 tells us what? For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to what? To judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when you look into the Word of God, it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is God speaking to us and saying to us what? What are the intentions of our heart? Are the motives of our heart right before God? Are we living in the right way? And when we read the Bible, it either affirms our heart and affirms the way that we live and the choices that we make, or it corrects and convicts and sensitizes our conscience to what God wants but when we look at it and we love the Word of God and when we follow His ways, then, verse 6 says, then I shall not be ashamed. There's no shame. fact, there's joy and thanksgiving. That is the third thing. For those who treasure the Word of God, there is thankfulness when the Word of God is taught. I shall give thanks, the psalmist writes, with uprightness of our heart. When I learn of your righteous judgments, I'll keep your statutes. Do not forsake me. If you love the Word of God and you treasure it, there is a great value and feel that it's of great value in its proclamation and its teaching of learning it, of hearing it, of feeding on it. You know what? There is gratitude. There is gratitude when one learns of something from the Word of God. There is thankfulness. There is joy. I know many of you have probably been to many churches before and have heard other speakers and seminars and things like that. It should bring you joy when you learn something from the Word of God. When you learn something from the Bible because you know what? God is speaking. and God wants you to be a person who desires to delve deep into the Word of God because you know what? There are people who will speak and many of them are very good speakers. They'll speak of things of positive thinking or God wants you to be healthy and wealthy or God wants you to have a, a wonderful life. There's a de-emphasis, though, in knowing what the Word of God says on the reading of the Word of God, of learning the Word of God. I remember when Pastor Henry and I were traveling through Sacramento. I forgot if it was on the way down to Californian Seminary on the way back. We just remember, we can still remember this one church we visited. They had a guest, uh, guest speaker on that day. We, we call him skyscraper stories. You know, the the speaker was continually just always looking at his watch and one story after read a verse and just continued to tell a story after story after story. And they were interesting stories. But after a while, you know, you walk away and thinking, what did I learn from the Word of God? What did I learn from the Bible? So let me encourage you to be an encourager of people when you go and visit a church, maybe another church somewhere else and you're a guest there or you're there on vacation. And, and, and the preacher or whoever it is, he, he's preaching the Word of God and he's doing his best. Go up and thank him for that. If he does divide the Word of God correctly. Fourthly, not only does God give blessings, a clear conscience, and a thankful heart for those who treasure it, lastly, he gives a pure life. How can a young man keep his way pure, it reads, by keeping it according to your Word. With all of my heart I have sought Thee. Do not let me wander for from your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. One of the things that the word of God does for us, the Bible does for us, is it protects you. It protects you, it protects your kids. It protects people so that they'll live a wise life. So that they won't make decisions that are poor. So that they won't decide, you know what, I'm going to choose this versus choose that. It guards their heart. And what a wonderful thing that it does, doesn't it? I know some families, they'll, they'll always give their, their kids a Bible verse before they go out to school. They'll give their their kids a a thought from the Word of God. Maybe they have breakfast together. They'll read a scripture just before they have breakfast and before everybody runs off to do their own thing. Because you know what? Having the Word of God in your mind and your heart throughout the day helps guard our attitudes. I know when I have bad times, when I have not spent time with the Word of God in the morning. My attitude, my own patience is much shorter and I realize that and I see my own sin and all of those things that come when I have not hidden the Word of God in my heart. It's like running on empty throughout the day. But the Word of God keeps us how I have treasured it in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. And then the psalmist concludes with five attitudes towards the Word of God. Not only does it bring blessing, a clear conscience, a thankful heart, and a pure life, but he talks about five attitudes in verses 12 through 16. They are these. He, teaches, he has attitudes of being teachable, verse 12, of declaration, verse 13, of joy in verse 14, of great worth. Verse 15, and of delight when he remembers it in verse 16. He talks about being teachable in verse 15 when he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. You know, some people are taught when they come to any piece of literature, they're to be critical about it, or they're to question it, or they're always to come forth with a skeptical attitude. And they approach the Bible like that. And that's not such a way that God desires that we come. Were to come and say, God, what can you learn? What can you teach me today? What are you trying to say to my life? Rather than saying, well, I don't know if it says that. And you think of all 15 different views of what it might mean and it does nothing for you. To be teachable, to be people who desire to learn. We're not to be people who are always coming to the Bible in a critical spirit to say, no, it doesn't do, say that or whatever it might mean. And many times we're unwilling to submit to what the Bible says because our life situation says this or whatever. We begin to twist the word and and reinterpret it so it fits our own life or whatever it might be. Instead, we're to come and say, am I right or am I wrong, Lord? Teach me and show me through your word that I might know what the truth is. Secondly, declaration. The psalmist writes, his lips told all of the ordinances of his mouth. You know, God desires that we learn and that we tell others. So that not only are we teachable, but we are to be teachers of others. Just like we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 5. When he says to the readers there, he says, you know what? You're still infants. You should be eating meat, not milk, but still you've got somebody that you have a need to teach you the elementary principles of the Word of God. Remember that? And then he says, well, you should be teachers by now and maybe you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you've known God's Word for years. But you never ever really have taught someone else. Have shared the Word of God even with your kids or spoken of it or whatnot. We should be teachers. We should declare it. Thirdly, the attitude of joy when we come and hear the Word of God. For some, it seems irrelevant. Bible studies, sermons, church on Sunday. To them, it's a waste of time. But for those who love the Word of God, there's to be joy. And fourthly, great worth. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. And what dominates your thought life? What dominates your dreams? I mean, some people, they they love advice. You know, you ever notice they're there when Bill Gates speaks or when Donald Trump is on TV. They're taking notes. You know, that's what they make them do. Those people in the business class at Yale watch that show. You know, they they want to know from somebody who knows something so they can have, quote-unquote, success in life. Maybe even a grandparent and they're so attuned because they know Grandpa's got wisdom or Grandma has lots of things that are good to say and they listen. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but how attuned are we when we come and we look at the Word of God that says, God has something for me that I might be blessed today. And fifthly, a delight, a delight. A lot of people in verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. A lot of people you see, look at the Bible like James writes in the book of James. A lot of people look at it like a mirror. They look at a mirror and they see how messed up their hair is. And they look and see how their makeup is not on right. But it would be tragic if they walked away and immediately forgotten what they look like. Such that they can't fix themselves and make themselves look presentable. And so too are those who look at the Word of God and they don't care. They walk away. Many people can be like that. When we come to the subject of loving the Word of God, people say, well, I'm too busy. or I don't have time. Whatever it might be, you know, I've used those excuses in the past as well. George Mueller, a man of prayer After having read through the Bible a hundred times, he says this. He was a very godly man of prayer in church history. He says, quote, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends often say, quote, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I cannot find time for scripture study, unquote. Perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. For more than a half a century, I have never known one day when I have not had more business than I could get through. For four years, I have had annually about 30,000 letters. And most of them have passed through my hands. Then as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. Besides, I have had charge over five immense orphanages, also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulation of millions of tracts, books and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work until I have had a good season with God and His Word. The blessings I have received have been wonderful." Unquote. So how about you and how about me? I'm certain here, people of here, I don't know of any of you that gets 30,000 letters in a year or has this oversight over 1,200 people and orphanages and printing presses, etc. But would you commit to putting God and time alone with Him first in your day if it's important to you? Some people have the old adage that say, well, no Bible, no breakfast." I'm going to spend time in the Word of God, feeding off that before I feed off of things. When I was in college, it was easy. I would say, well, to myself, you know what? Studying is very important to me. But I'm not going to allow myself to do my homework until I've had time alone with God. For some, perhaps, you're a habitual coffee drinker. And you think to yourself, how can I get through the day? Well, make a commitment, perhaps. That while you're having your first cup of coffee, that you'll be opening your Bible at the same time. Learn to love the Word of God, because I want you to be blessed. I want you to see how God is teaching you, and to cause you to grow, to be more mature, to be discerning, and have true joy that is everlasting, even during a season and a time. That's my heart. To have a heart that loves the Word of God as the psalmist does. To think on it all day long. Because God has great news for you and He wants you to be blessed. God wants to bless you. The way that you are blessed and have a life of joy is to follow the Word of God. And you cannot follow what you do not know. Because the other choice, as Proverbs 13 tells us, the way of the unfaithful is hard. The way of the unfaithful is hard. So choose today, will you love or not? The Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how wonderful your Word is. For it is more precious than gold, yea, that much fine gold. Your Word endures forever, as your Word is declared, we think again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And to whom do you look, O Lord? For you have declared the one who trembles at your word. O God, I pray that we might have a reverence in our hearts for your word, that we might truly value it as you have, because you speak through your word, and it is your word that gives life and joy and blessing. And God, we desire to follow you. So grant to us strength in our hearts that we might desire and love your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen.